This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. From the Financial Times in London, I'm Ben Hall and this is World Weekly. On the show this week, we will be discussing the November 13th terror attacks in Paris, in which 129 people were killed by assailants, allegedly orchestrated by an ISIS mastermind. The atrocity, the worst ever terrorist killing in France, has cruelly exposed the shortcomings in security and intelligence that were supposed to have been bolstered in the wake of the attacks on Charlie Hebdo magazine in January in France. Five of the six assailants so far identified are believed to have spent time in Syria, fulfilling the worst fears of European security services about the inevitable blowback from Syria's murderous civil war. It suggests that ISIS has acquired a new international strike capability, supported by bomb-making expertise and a network of fellow plotters. The fact that one of the attackers passed into the EU via Greece and the Western Balkans has also highlighted fears about the weaknesses and gaps in the bloc's external frontiers, just as it grapples with hundreds of thousands of migrants pouring in from the war-torn Middle East. Joining me to discuss the attacks and their implications are Sam Jones, the FT's Defence and Security Editor, and Rula Khalaf, our Foreign Editor. Sam, could I start with you? Could this attack have been stopped? It's very hard to say at the moment. I mean, obviously we're still waiting for the full picture to come in. Clearly there were some missteps along the way. Um, Most of those people identified uh, with these attacks in Paris were known radicals. Some of them have been tracked by the police for a long time. Mostafai, the man who was responsible for the suicide bombing at the Bataclan, he was known to police in France since 2010. They had an S-file, which is the designated file for a radical, on him since then. He tried to travel to Yemen, he'd been to Syria, he'd come back. With lots of the others as well, they seem to have gone to Syria, come back, not been tracked. So all of that really begs the question, you know, why weren't these people being monitored more closely, given that they'd been to fight for known terror organisations? And even if they weren't being monitored all the time, when they started to associate with each other, which is the kind of things you'd expect security agencies to be picking up on, why weren't alarm bells ringing then? But isn't one of the problems that there are so many of these people to track and also that you don't really know when somebody goes from being somebody of vaguely extremist Islamist views to somebody with murderous intent? That's true. And obviously, France in particular has a large problem here because there are at least 1,500 French citizens that have been to fight for radical groups in Syria. Many of them have already returned. And then there is an even bigger community of people who support them, who share their ideas, who might have tried to go but couldn't make it and who sympathise with the cause of ISIS and others. And that in total represents a huge number of potential suspects, as you suggest. In the UK, the security services have been aware of this problem for quite some time because for them it started with the killing of Fusilier Lee Rigby in 2013. 
the people that perpetrated that act were known to the security services but were peripheral to their investigations and that triggered this kind of review into how do we deal with these peripheral people and really the only way that you can do that properly in the modern age is by really having fulsome data fulsome signals intelligence on people so you can crunch through the numbers and do some clever analysis to work out who's doing what to try and build sort of heat maps of where the threat might be coming from and that seems to be one of the shortcomings in Paris it was the shortcomings after the Charlie Hebdo attacks earlier this year in January and it's been a shortcoming now where you have these people who might be radical but who are a bit peripheral maybe haven't been connected with any direct plotting before and then who suddenly are blowing themselves up and killing hundreds of other people. The fact that um, some of these attackers were based in Belgium, resident in Belgium, and may have plotted the attack in Belgium, does that suggest there are serious shortcomings on the Belgian side? And was there also a problem of cooperation between the Belgians and the French? Yes. So at the moment, there's this question about whether there's a sort of intelligence deficit in Europe in terms of the sharing of intelligence or whether actually there's a more specific people to blame for this. Belgium is in the spotlight in particular because of the suburb in Brussels where so many of these jihadis seem to have been concentrated. There have now been four separate plots linked to this suburb that were successful or almost successful. There was the Jewish Museum shooting by Mehdi Nemush. There was the attempted attack on the Talis train earlier this year. And there was also, of course, the Charlie Hebdo attacks. All of those point to some kind of issue in Belgium. Someone was saying to me, a European security official earlier this week, that the problem isn't intelligence sharing. The problem very much is patchy intelligence. So there are some intelligence agencies in Europe, like the French, the British, the Germans, that are very good and well-resourced, and there are others, perhaps like the Belgians, that just simply are not. There are more jihadists from Belgium fighting in the Middle East than there are members of the Belgium Security Service. Rula, straight after the attacks, François Hollande essentially said France was at war with ISIS. But is there a military solution to the problem posed by ISIS? I think the problem with framing this as a war, and it is, you know, there is a real conflict here, but the problem with framing it as a war is that you have to also fight the war. And it's not clear to me that anyone has the tools or the political will to fight this war. You might have noticed that on the same day that President Hollande was speaking of a war and of the need to destroy ISIS, the US president came out and said, we're definitely not putting boots on the ground. So I think if this is a war, someone has to fight it. And I just don't see who's going to fight it because airstrikes are not going to address this problem. They may degrade ISIS, they certainly won't destroy it. And the Russians and the French have certainly ramped up their air offensive. Do you envisage them, if not the Americans, at some stage extending their ground presence or putting in special forces? Or I think the Americans have seen indications of Russian troops already in Syria. The problem, of course, with this is that the Russians are in alliance with both the Assad regime and effectively Iran and the Iranian militias or the Iranian-supported militias. And there are all sorts of militias there. And 
What I don't see is any kind of ground cooperation between rebel forces fighting ISIS and pro-regime forces fighting ISIS because they are also fighting each other. So I think once you sort of translate that onto the ground, it becomes a lot more complicated. But attacking their oil business, degrading some of their infrastructure, maybe some special operations to take out some of the individuals, Will that clip ISIS's wings, if not destroy it completely, or is even that too optimistic? I think in order for us to see real progress, what you need is to retake Raqqa and to also retake Mosul. And I think as long as ISIS has a real safe haven, then they will always be able to plot. But also it will be a constant war on the ground where they may still be able to make advances. Even if you retake Raqqa, there are already signs that they're moving some of their best assets out of Raqqa and some of the commanders back into Mosul. I think the issue of territory that ISIS holds has to be addressed if you are to find a more permanent solution to what you're seeing now. One of the problems, of course, is that increased bombing or increased fighting in Syria is going to drive even more people out of the country as refugees into Europe, posing the real question about whether the EU will keep its borders open and allow these people in. Sam, how do you see that panning out? Uh, I mean, this is going to be a really uh, big deal, if only for political reasons, triggered by the attacks in Paris. And obviously, there were already a lot of concerns around Europe about the borders, about the refugee crisis. And this really has completely reignited those, blown them open again. You've got to add to that all of these questions about the Schengen zone as well. So it's not just Europe's kind of external border, but it's internal borders as well. And there is a huge, there's a sort of glaring intelligence and security and policing deficit that sort of occurring in Europe at the moment where you know you have fully open borders but there is no sharing or not enough sharing of information across them. Europe has failed on things like the passenger name records legislation which everyone was adamant was going to get passed after the Charlie Hebdo attacks and is still kind of languishing somewhere deep in the kind of European EU bureaucracy. So I think this is definitely going to become more and more of an issue and obviously you have this sort of element to the Paris attacks where there were fake passports, fake Syrian passports being used and clearly it seems now that at least one of the attackers had come from Syria, disguised themselves as a refugee, probably because they were known to the security services as someone that had left to fight for ISIS and so couldn't travel under their own identity but that then blows open this whole idea of identity checking and the need to prevent this happening again I guess that the point really is to bear in mind that this is so far one person amid hundreds of thousands and the Director General of MI5, the UK's domestic security agency, was only two, three weeks ago saying publicly that the refugee crisis was not the focus of their concerns about terror and terror plotting so far. That may change, but clearly there is a bigger problem with terror elsewhere still that they need to grapple with, regardless of the refugee crisis. Okay, on that more sanguine note, that's it for this week. My thanks to Sam Jones and Rula Khalaf. World Weekly is produced by Fiona Simon. Until next. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. 
Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Sweet. Goodbye.